G'day, welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm Graham Curry, your host from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle, and I successfully maintained that weight loss now, coming up two years. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what it's like to living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the book, The Fasting Highway, which is a story of my journey overcoming chronic addiction to fast food and sugar and taking that walk from morbid obesity to normality. So sit back here with us on the Fasting Highway in the next few weeks and listen to some inspiring guests and some experts in the intermittent fasting community. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. G'day and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. And this is episode 75. So today I'm absolutely thrilled to be talking with Sarah Morrissey. And Sarah is 53 years old from the United Kingdom. And Sarah grew up in Liverpool and she spent her early teens in Saudi Arabia. And she now resides in the British Midlands in Derbyshire. She works in the pharmaceutical industry and she's also a wife and mother. And it was a catalyst moment when she saw a photograph of herself at an event when she decided things had to change and she got started on her journey to better health. And here to tell us all about that journey today is Sarah Morrissey. Welcome. Oh, g'day, Sarah, and welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you for joining me today. Hi, Graham. It's lovely to meet you, and I'm very honoured to be here. Well, the honour's all mine, and um, I've followed your journey a bit, and you're a very inspiring person, and thank you so much for agreeing to come on and tell your story. But Sarah, for those that don't know you out there, we heard a bit about you in your intro. Could you just give us a bit of backstory and sort of any problems you had with weight and that sort of thing? And what sort of led you to the path of intermittent fasting in the first place? Yeah, sure. So um, as I mentioned um, in my intro, um, I I grew up in Saudi Arabia as a child. I was blessed to be able to spend some years there. And so we lived a really healthy lifestyle as, as expats in a hot country do, you know, at school till one and then swimming every afternoon. I never struggled with my weight as a child. Um, and I think right through teens, I was fine. And actually, um, when I mentioned that, that I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, where that is really key and something that really struck me on one of your other one of the other podcasts that's in the arena that I listened to not one of yours actually it was with a doctor who interviewed you and he also had a lady on there talking about PCOS she was an expert she treated patients for years and her key and quite I would say quite quite sort of snarky message was obese people get PCOS and I was almost shouting at my Alexa when I when she was talking because I was thinking no my first experience was um, straight out of holiday in Tenerife, age 19, just finished school, about to go to uni. And I looked amazing. I'd spent two weeks going around bars in Tenerife in a bikini. I was no way overweight. Got back home, um, emergency rush into a hospital two days later with suspected appendicitis, which turned out to be a huge ovarian cyst. That was the first time they discovered that I had a problem. And I was not overweight and I never had been. So PCOS was what started my journey. It wasn't that I was overweight. So I went off to uni and, you know, sort of too much freedom, I think, too many beers, too many late night takeaways and, and you know, the life of a, a student. I think the weight went on a little bit, but I still wasn't overweight. Um, and then probably my second year, I collapsed in a nightclub. So the two o'clock in the morning drama where there was an ambulance called and I'm sure everybody thought I'd had too much to drink. But no, that was a ruptured ovarian cyst. And I was in hospital for a, for a good while then treating the issue, but also the risk of sepsis that followed. And I was really unwell with it. So that was me. Um, and I think from that point on, when I look back at photos, that was probably where the weight started to go on a little bit. I left uni, got married, uh, was happy, ate too much, what we sometimes do, and then got pregnant. And I was very lucky, actually, because I didn't expect that it would be an easy journey because I'd started to learn about PCOS and knew the challenges that I might have. Um, but I gained an awful lot of weight when I was pregnant, like stones, um, you know, I really, really did put a lot of weight on. So even then, when I'd given birth and was trying to lose weight, I just had so much to lose. I think that was the real defining point for me. I, I then was 
what I would you know call an overweight person absolutely but I was able to lose it when I tried different crash methods of dieting you know I am the expert and I could do a whole separate podcast on every single diet out there short of having surgery I've done everything I've done them all and I know that they work if you do them but then they are a diet and I am a strong believer that diets don't work they don't change your lifestyle they just make you diet and they do work of course they work but the minute you stop the weight goes back on and that's why I really do think that that you have to be able to address the underlying issues that, that are there in order to be able to um, to lose weight. A very strong belief that I have, and that's something I think I'd like to, moving forward, be able to work with other people to do because the change in me over the last eight months is something that I've not experienced before in 30 years of being overweight. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so how did you actually find your way to intermittent fasting? What brought you there? I'd, 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 I knew about intermittent fasting. My, Funny enough, a manager where I used to work, I used to work in the medical nutrition arena. So my manager was a dietitian, and he only used to eat once a day. And I can always remember he'd just disappear when we were all having lunch and or he'd just be sipping on his bottle of water, always, always had a bottle of water there, always drinking black coffee. And I just never thought to ask him enough about it. He was a slim guy and he just ate in the evening with us. But clearly that's what he was doing. Another friend of mine did 5'2", and she lost um, weight that she needed to lose and just stuck with that ever since. So I was kind of was aware that it was that it was a thing. Um, But for me, having tried all the different methods, actually, two years ago today, when I was looking back in my diary and on my my fitness pal, because I've recorded my weight all my life. So I know all my peaks and troughs and so on. It was two years ago today that I joined a well-known slimming club in the local village where I'd moved to and um, Actually, I managed to lose 25 pounds, um, but I was more overweight I, starting this time than I was then. So I actually got down to the weight I am today with that slimming club. But what struck me more than anything was that the instructor was overweight, very overweight. She shouldn't have been teaching people about weight loss because she hadn't achieved it herself. And they would always be rewarding the person that had lost the most weight that week, you know, and they were normally the new joiners who'd lost a lot of water. We all know you can't lose six pounds of fat in a week, but you can lose water. Hmm. And I always used to think the person who should be rewarded at these clubs is the person who's in maintenance that's been there for two years and attending every week and has maintained their weight that that's where the reward and the recognition should be. But it never was. So I played with it for a bit, lost weight got to November 19 and attended a work do in my best trousers looking fabulous I felt amazing everybody commented how great I looked in a really kind and lovely way and then I came back from that and I just don't know my usual my usual weight loss gain journey by the Christmas I went to put those trousers on and they didn't fit me again so I came into 2020 and and Covid really just feeling about as miserable as I'd ever felt and then Covid hit and so the first lockdown, you know, what else were we? did you do? You know, we were doing lots of nice meals, having nice wine in the evening because you were trapped in your house. So I wasn't always a wine drinker, but red wine would be my go-to drink if I wasn't drinking a gin and tonic. I'm not a big drinker. It makes me sound like I'm a big drinker. I'm not at all. But I started having more red wine than I probably should have done. And that extra stone went on and it went on so easily. So I hit the highest weight I'd ever been. And also during 2020, we had a family wedding booked where all my family would have been um, having a reunion. But then in about April, we were told it had been postponed. So that underlying fear in the back of my mind of wedding approaching, photos, more, you know, horror as an obese person, that was kind of taken out my mindset. And then my stepdaughter also was having a baby shower where there was going to be lots and lots of people I hadn't seen for years and I was dreading it. But then she said, no, because of COVID, we're doing garden party and just little groups of of six or 10 at a time. And they would have all been people I saw all the time. So it just gave me permission to not even have to worry about it again. That's how, upon reflection, it was. And so it got we got to summer 2020, so August last year, and the baby shower happened. And I think that was my defining moment because my beautiful stepdaughter um, had taken lots of photos and she sent me through the photos and she's always very kind. She never posts a photo on social media without sending me it because she knows 
I would normally, my response would be, oh God, that's awful of me. So she sent the photos through and, you know, and I was just, God, it was the worst. And I've sent you those photos through, um, one of those photos. And I honestly think it's the worst I've ever looked. And I just looked and I thought, oh, wow, I don't know. Just, it was awful. The feeling that I had was, I don't think I've ever felt that bad about myself before. And I'd gone blonde because I think as many people who are trying to lose weight do, I tried to change myself, but didn't address the obvious weight loss and just tried to change how I looked. I never felt that I looked like myself. I didn't look, I'm a dark haired person. I didn't look myself. And oh God, I looked at those photos and just felt so terrible. And then in September, I was chatting to a girl I know very well um, and I'm friends with her on Facebook. And she mentioned she'd lost two and a half stone. So I said, wow, how did you do that? And she said, I do OMAD five days a week. Now, I joked because it's my personality. I was like, well, he sounds amazing. Who's he? You've never heard of OMAD, you know. And just it was something for all the all the diet and culture and toxic hell that I'd been in. I'd never heard of, of the expression OMAD. So I was straight on Google. I Googled it and I was like, wow, okay, this is new. This is something I've never heard of. So I started to read it. And around that time too, so in about the October, there's a guy that I follow on social media in the UK who um, is called Rebel Fit. And he's a guy who really posts about his hatred of the diet industry and how he can, you know, he can help coach people to be in the right place to lose weight. Um, But, you know, that it was all about mindset. And I did one of his sort of coaching sessions and, and that really helped. I think I agreed with everything he was saying. I was that person he was describing who almost been bullied by the diet industry and failed, always just never, ever found what worked. So all those things I mentioned, that perfect storm, that was kind of what happened. I found OMAD. I found I did a rebel fit kind of, you know, got my felt I started to address my issues around how I felt about myself and then my friend who'd introduced me to OMAD added me to a website and it was American Facebook page too much spamming of keto and diet shake nonsense for my liking but I asked a question on there and you answered my question and here we are (laughs) answered a question and your picture before and after was there and I just was like wow okay really looked at you zoomed in looked again (laughs) You know, then read your book, uh, read Jim Stevens at the same time and read Jason Fung. I did all of that in November. So I really feel like I was getting myself in a sort of um, mental state ready to have a go. And then December, I tried fasting, didn't worry about what I was eating. I knew Christmas was coming. I just kept seeing if I could just do a day at 16. Could I do it? Yeah, I can tried 18 hours. Yes, I could. But I didn't record my weight then or anything. I had it in my mind from January. And that was it. January the 4th, I've never looked back. It's such a great backstory that you've just given there. And I can resonate with so much of that. And I think we all have that catalyst moment, don't we, Sarah? Whether it might be that photo. For me, it was sitting on an aircraft, jammed into a seat. I'd had enough. And it's just that moment that pushes us over the edge. I mean, you saw those photos and you said to yourself, right, enough's enough. You found the books, you read my book, you read Jin's book, you read Dr. Fung's book, you armed yourself with the information. And so I take it you were starting with the 16 and 8 and then you just slowly worked up to um, the 18? Yeah, I did. I think very quickly. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I mentioned in my backstory I'm, I'm a, a scientist and I understood all the science. I knew that the, more, the longer I did, the better it would be. But actually, for all that I'm clearly an was an overeater and would binge on food at certain times, I actually could all, always have been able to go quite long without eating, and and I don't have I don't eat uh, I don't have milk. Sorry, I mean I do eat some cheese, but I never I haven't had milk in my coffee for years. So the whole concept of clean fasting that other people have struggled with, with giving up sugar and giving up creamer. I drink black coffee and and sparkling water. So it was almost as if like wow, this is <laughs> this is easy for me. I just need to not eat at that time, and it's just the eating thing. So I, I tried sixteen eight for a bit. But I found I was eating too much in my eating window. And I think that's quite classic, really. But I I think because of the mental preparation that I did, I allowed myself January to nail the fasting. And then I thought, I'll start worrying about what I'm eating and addressing what I'm eating in February. So I 
gave myself permission to just make sure I got the clean fast in. And I did find that I was, I did everything all the mentors on the fasting highway page tell you is going to happen. I, I ate for being hungry the next day. I overate thinking, God, I've got these choices and I need to eat them all in a, you know, in my eating window. I did all those things, but I didn't like feeling full. And I found very quickly that I prefer feeling fasted. I love the feeling of feeling fasted. And that is unusual for me. But I think maybe I was always overeating for the unhappiness that I had about how I looked. And although my backstory sort of tells a story of someone that I was, I never was depressed as such. I was just really unhappy about how I looked. But I, you know, I'm very good at faking it. You know, I'm a salesperson. I always did my hair and face while I tried to wear the most flattering clothes. I always sort of appeared a, a happy person and a sociable person. But oh, God, you know my head appearing over the back of everyone else's bodies on every photo I've ever been in. I actually struggled to find before photos because I just deleted them. I hated them. But yeah, it was weird. I loved that feeling of um, being in control. I loved the fasted feeling. And I had a real light bulb moment. Um, I posted it on the on the group about a month ago where my husband asked what we were having for dinner. And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, have you not thought, because it was about two in the afternoon, and he said, have you any thoughts about what we're eating tonight then? And I was like, no. He said, just don't think about food anymore. And I don't mean that I've lost my passion for eating lovely food, because I really do eat such window-worthy food now. But I'm just, just not bothered. I, when, it, when my window's open, I'll have a think, you know, and if we need to shop, we'll shop before. But I'm, I, I'm not, I do not have the relationship with food that I've ever had before. And it's amazing. Yeah, and I think that's a natural progression, isn't it? That we get to that point where we don't even sort of think about our fasting. We just go through our day. And it's like I say to people, I wake up in the morning, I get up, I have a shower, I put my clothes on, I drive to work, I do my job. I don't even actually think about the thing that I'm actually fasting. But I don't really think about my window too much till quite late in the afternoon. I might be driving home and I might think, oh, do I need something? Or am I going to have this? Or am I going to have that? And so that doesn't really enter my mind. And I know when I first started, that was a bit more difficult. And I used to think, oh, man, I've got to wait all day and that sort of thing. But I think the longer you go, the easier it is. So when you first started, Sarah, were you eating all the things or you just you didn't change your diet much or were you delaying anything? I think January, I, I mean, I did lose weight in January. I've lost weight consistently throughout. So um, but never that big drop that I'd sort of seen before with all the diet clubs and all the rest of it. So I think that told me straight away that, you know, I've given myself a year for the weight loss that I want to see. So I, you know, I, I therefore, you know, two weeks into a 52 week kind of experiment for myself, don't beat myself up, you know, whereas I would always have beat myself up before. But I just was probably still eating um, larger portions because that's what I was used to doing. And I just, but I, and I've not denied anything because I know that doesn't work. I've done keto before. I've done sugar. I've done everything. I really have. The one thing I probably have absolutely cut down on is sugar now, sugar and processed food. I watched that sugar film and wow, as a scientist again, watching the, how dreadful he looked by the end, it just so blows out the water that calories in calories out I mean if I if I hear another person you know I've I almost virtually want to punch them on social media when you see these people just you know eat, eat less move more no that doesn't work it will work if you're in the right mindset but it won't work per se You've, it's about what you eat too and I really am I think I actually love my body now and I never have before and this this is another kind of light bulb moment for me I just would get dressed quickly I'd hate how I looked Whereas now, even down to, I moisturize every day. I body moisturize because I feel like I love my body and I need to look after it to keep me alive. Whereas before, I just would be like, Ugh, get out of the shower as fast as you can, get dressed and you know, concentrate on the, the face and the hair because that's the bit that kind of I still always had less of an issue with. But then when I look back at the photos at how horrible my face looked as well, I was like, oh, God. But yeah, never denied anything really. I don't do any sugar, but the interesting things I have stopped drinking, and it was never a big decision. Um, I've not made a big statement that I'm not going to drink alcohol again. I'm sure I may do in the future, but I was still having the odd gin and tonic at the weekend and stuff when I started in January. And it was my birthday in January, so I had you know some nice drinks on my birthday and stuff. 
But then there was this one Saturday night and I was in my fasting, I was in my eating window. So I'd had a nice healthy meal, had a glass of wine with it, then just kind of thought, oh, I'll just have a finish the bottle. So another half a glass to finish the bottle. Then I ate some snacks because I'd had a drink. And when I woke up the next morning, I had a bit of a headache. But also I was like, okay, I still did. I think I was about 19.5 on that day or something, you know, my window. It was a good fasting day. But what I ate in my window was rubbish. And the calories, if I'd added the calories up, I would have been way over anything that was considered to be healthy for, you know, for what you should consume. So I just kind of thought, just maybe I won't. So I just stopped. But I have found it interesting people's concept around if you don't drink around them. And people don't like it. They like to feel that you're drinking with them. So actually, some friends were around recently and I was doing gin and tonics for the girls and my glass came out too, the same glass. But I had sparkling water and ice in mine, no lemon, because I was still fasting at that point. And yeah, no one notices. But if you announce you're not, people don't like it. That's what I found. Yeah, I agree with that. And funny enough, as you heard me talk about, and you probably read in my book, I was a party boy in my day. Yeah. And when it came to me taking up the intermittent fasting lifestyle, I sort of dropped out of that a fair bit. And it's funny what you say about the drink. And it is true that nobody ever notices at a party when you've got a drink in your hand. If you've got a glass of sparkling water, like I reverted to drinking um, vodka and, and, and soda water instead of beer because I thought, well, you know, beer's going to put weight on me, whereas the vodka and soda water didn't. So I'd go to the pub and I'd go to the bar and I'd get a you know, pint of vodka and soda water. And everybody would be looking at me and then say, what sort of drink is yeah. that? And I'd say, well, you know, it's what I drink now. You know, it's, it's well, I'm trying to do this health thing. And they'd look at me and it's rather weirdly. And then say, okay, but, you know, you go to a pub with four blokes and it'd be four pints of beer and one pint of soda water and vodka. Like you, I've sort of basically given up drinking now. I don't drink a lot. Um, and I think that was just a progression for me. It wasn't really planned. I still have a few now and again. My wife and I will go and stay at a hotel or something and, you know, we'll have a few drinks when we go out. It's not, and like you said, you don't have to say to yourself, I'm never going to drink again the rest of my no, life no. because we often make statements like that that don't stick. But also, when you started there, obviously you'd read, you had the information, you'd read the books and that sort of thing. And I know you're a scientist and you would have delved into the science. So you would have clean fasted right from the start, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I've never broken the clean fast. And I, I do use a fasting app. And although um, I find for me, I'm, I'm a, I've always overanalyzed everything and I've tried to rein that in really. Um, so I don't sort of overanalyze. I did calorie, I did track my food a little bit um, as well to start off with, just to be conscious of what I was having. But I know I mean, come on, 30 years of dieting, I know what calories are in everything, you know, you kind of know it, don't you? But I don't anymore now. In the last two months, I don't track my food. I do track my fasting because I like to know what's happening. And sometimes if I feel hungry and I look on my app and I think, oh, just started in ketosis now at 17 hours, that keeps me going where before I might have opened my window earlier. But I've totally clean fasted and I really have settled on OMAD. That suits me. It, it doesn't, it's not that the the days when I've had longer windows and I've maybe had a bit of a starter, I've always done kind of what you, you've just followed your guidance really, but where I've opened like with a, with a smaller salad or a cheese and biscuits or something. But then if I wait a few hours and then eat, I just do eat more. It's my, my, you know, my, my habits from many years, you know, are still to be worked on. So for me, I just have a much shorter window and I very quite often, if I've eaten earlier one day, I can go 26, 26 hours, 24, 26 hours the next day and then eat in the evening. And I've read on the page on the group that somebody was saying about doing that. And that really works for me. So I tend to have like yesterday we went out for lunch. We had a lovely lunch out together, me and my husband. And I had an absolutely beautiful poached salmon salad with avocado and beetroot and toasted almonds and a piece of like hop sort of rustic brown bread it was beautiful meal I had butter on the bread but that was it that's all I had yesterday and I, I felt absolutely satisfied and it's a lovely meal whereas today I'll probably wait till this evening so I sort of tend to get a little bit of a longer fast in and then the next day sort of if I have lunch the next day then you, you're kind of doing a 16 or 18 hours aren't you so it's that's what works for me and my food choices now I've always eaten healthily but then eaten rubbish on top 
Um, I've never really been a processed food person. I've never been a sauces and jars and packets foods or frozen meals. Never done that really. But um, I think now I nearly always just eat salad, but I love it. I eat a bag of rocket a day. Um, I'm obsessed with rocket. If rocket didn't exist, I don't know how I'd, you know, I just, I love it. You know, it's, it's my go-to. My plate starts with a bag of rocket on it and then everything else goes on top. And I just feel amazing. I feel mm. so good. Yeah, and I think that's, you found your niche. You found what you love. And we often hear people use the mantra, you can eat whatever you want with intermittent fasting. Well, I'm here to tell you, eating whatever you want made me as obese as what I was, right? And so I, I don't take that mantra on board. I sort of get why people do eat whatever they want. And those people that can eat everything and anything, we all know them. They look like they go to the gym five days a week and they don't do any exercise and they look absolutely ripped. All power to them. That's fantastic. But for me, I've come to learn that things like processed food, fast food, bread, that sort of thing, it just doesn't agree with me. I mean, if I pass a bread van on the road, Sarah, I'll put on weight. You know, I, I can eat bread. I'm okay with bread. I haven't had any pasta since January. If I look at a bowl of pasta, it goes on my hips and I can't stop eating it. I love it. You know, maybe I was an Italian in a former life. I don't know. I just, I love pasta and I, I just doesn't love me. So I just don't eat it anymore. That's yeah. It. And I always say to people, instead of saying I can eat whatever I want, what I like to say is I eat what makes me feel my greatest. And if that happens to be a bowl right. of salad and some smoked salmon and something else and, you know, some berries or whatever for dessert, then that's great. And I'm an OMAD guy. It's well documented. That's what I do too. And with the OMAD, you're following that style where you have a bit of an opener and then you'll have your main and you'll sort of close off with a bit of dessert if you want to. And I sort of keep my window fairly short. Um, as you know, when I was losing the weight, I did the 23 and 1 because I thought if I just eat in that one hour period, that's all I need to do get enough into me, satisfied, satiated, close my window, wait till the next day. And it sort of suited me because I was working. I'd come home at five o'clock and each day I'd have something to eat. But I found some days my actual eating time was only 20, 25 minutes and that would be it. And then when I moved into maintenance, I thought, well, okay, I've got the weight off. How am I going to keep it off? And so I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll loosen it up a bit. I'll do 22 and two during the week. Then on the weekends, I'll move it to a 16 and eight so I can go to brunch with my wife and you know, have two meals a day if I want, maybe sometimes three. Depends how I feel on the weekends. And I know that my weight's been in check. And you mentioned there earlier, the qualification of IF for me has been the two years of keeping the weight off, Sarah. And for, that's the sustainability for me. And now when I say to people, well, if you want some convincing about IF, I've kept this weight off for two years. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I mean, I was having a um, I'm always I'm careful not to mention the name of the group because, you know, um, uh, you know, you might not want that to be sort of on your podcast. But, you know, a very well known in England group where you're, you know, the, even the word sin. I mean, it's just telling you you're wrong. You're being punished if you have something. The whole psyche around it's terrible. But I was having a chat with a friend of mine a few weeks ago and she was saying Look, that, that that process worked for her. And we're having a very honest I mean, we're very close friends. We're having an honest, you know, body sort of chat like you were not she was obviously has seen my weight loss over this year and she said look you know for me I couldn't do what you're doing she said for me this group works you know as long as I follow it it works and I said but you're now starting to want to follow it again because you need to lose that weight that you've gained again from when you stopped doing it last time and all you're ever doing is the same 20 pounds over and over again it's what I've always done so it doesn't work you know you can see that it doesn't work for that reason but everyone will only come round to, to to the conclusion in their own way, and it, and it's interesting the behaviour and that approach of overweight people as opposed to slim people. So my stepdaughter, and she's happy for me to mention this. She's recently had a baby, oh, the most beautiful baby boy, and she just had a couple of pounds left that she. I mean, she looks beautiful, um, very very slim, but she knew she had a pound or two of baby weight left, and we met up probably about eight weeks ago or something, six weeks ago, we, we went for lunch with the baby, did a bit of shopping once lockdown was relieved a bit here. And we were talking about my journey and she just asked me what I did. And we went out for lunch and she texted me the next morning. She said, I've started. I've seen what you've done. It makes so much sense. I was full after lunch. So I didn't eat my dinner, have any dinner last night. I've already got 16 hours in. And she just started because she is a person who, 
has always been able to maintain their weight but found that that last couple of pounds wasn't working and she was lacking in energy because of the baby and so on but instead of pontificating about it and needing to get her mind in the right place she just started that afternoon she said tell me what you do I'm going to do it and she started and she said pretty much all the way through since she just does that 16-8 she's been the milky coffee she has the black coffee in the water and then she opens a window her and her partner eat together in the evening she might eat a bit something earlier on but then she did say sometimes she's not hungry earlier on so she just waits till the evening so and she said herself I wouldn't have said I mean I would envy her figure but she still feels better in herself for doing it and what that struck me more than anything about that experience is that it's the attitude of a slim, healthy person to their diet and their food and what they eat. Diet meaning what they eat, not not the diet to try and lose weight. You see that difference. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that's an important point too because the stepdaughter is a person that doesn't have a lot of weight to lose and yet she feels so much better by doing intermittent fasting. And I always say to people, intermittent fasting is so much more than just weight loss. There's so many exactly. other aspects, and we'll, we'll talk about that now, what we call the non-scale victories and the health benefits. And I'm sure in the time that you've been doing it, you've been seeing a few of those for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the energy, I've always had a lot of energy. Um, and my husband said now that he said, <laughs> he said, you are, you were bored, irritating now. He says, you have so much energy. He says, you were bad enough before, but now I'm literally like a coiled spring. I, and my mental clarity is better. I find I'm much more focused. I mean, I've been working um, from home for the last 18 months, mostly because I work in the pharmaceutical industry and, and we've obviously not been able to engage in a hospital environment from a safety point of view with COVID. So all my work's been on teams. and I've been in the office in front of a camera meetings all day, every day. And I've noticed this year that I'm finding it so much easier. I'm finding just the the, the whole process of that being stuck at home is easier because my mind's in a better place. So definitely the energy. Um, my joints don't ache anymore. Um, I had lots of inflammation from being overweight. My fingers were sort of, um, I've got some osteoarthritis in one knee as a result of a bad fall about 20 years ago. And then I fell on the same knee 10 years ago. So my poor knee has kind of had repeated injuries. And without doubt, there would have been pressure on my joints as an overweight person. But that's all that aching and inflammation has gone um i've actually been very lucky in terms of my health although i'm clearly very was cl clearly very overweight and still have a lot to lose um i'd never gone into the realms of needing i mean my blood pressure's always been low my my cholesterol my blood sugars all of that i've managed to just swerve the other health issues so i think if they were about to hit me with a bang, I would have thought if I hadn't done something about it. But I haven't had those issues that others have had to do to address. But definitely just how I'm feeling myself. My face, I think, looks so much better. My skin's tightened. I'd even gone for a consultation at the end of last year, again, trying to fix myself and not addressing the weight because I hated the kind of jowls that I had here and... Um, and, you know, sort of thought, is there a way they could be filled or do something? I'm not Botox, but a kind of something I could do. And actually, um, uh, my colleague who whose wife kind of, do, you know, had, does these treatments commented on my photo to me the other day and we were chatting and he said, you've actually, by losing weight in your face, you don't need that. That's kind of addressed itself. All I needed to do was lose weight, you know, and I've tightened underneath my neck. I mean, I've done 53 and I don't think my skin looks like 53. I think I never did. My mum always looked younger than her years. And so I'm quite blessed with good genes from that point of view. But um, the thing I noticed when I first joined the Fasting Highway and I saw everybody's before and after photos was that everybody looks so much younger. And I think with other weight loss methods, you see on, you know, the, the slimming group type pages when they advertise someone who's lost seven stone or whatever and they always look kind of quite haggard and I mean that just in an observational way they kind of have lost the weight but they look tireder and maybe the faces look a bit drawn and that's always been something I've noticed because let's face it fat is a natural filler isn't it so you know we we have that kind of the younger looking face from being overweight sometimes but on the fasting highway group with the intermittent fasters everybody's just dropping years as well as dropping pounds. And I'm like, I really like that. I feel like it's the secret kind of 
group like on a movie or something that we've all found and I just feel like I want to scream to everybody just just do it you know it's it will knock years off you my my yeah my joints I, I can run up and down the stairs now I'm not doing one stair at a time like I used to do with my knee um actually my PCOS um I had a phone call from the doctors that going to too much like gory female details I'm sure you don't need but I'd had a call from the doctors to check my coil because I have a coil to protect against endometrial cancer so that's what my mum sadly died of and I needed to sort of address that really I'd phoned up in November saying can you get me booked in it's not urgent but I'm having some sort of tenderness and a little bit of you know just not feeling great some menopause stroke sort of you know sort of menstrual symptoms and just put the call in and they phoned me about two weeks ago and said oh we've got a slot this afternoon if you want to come and get your coil changed we can do it for you well they probably didn't realize that mentally I needed a much bigger run-up than that to go and have a procedure like that done but anyway I saw and I was busy so I said no but then I thought you know what I've not felt any of those symptoms that caused me to ring in November none of them they've all gone it's all gone so that can only be down to the fasting because I've lost this amount of weight before and it's not changed those symptoms. The only thing that's changed is the fasting. So just, and my shape is different than it was when I lost weight before. I'm in much, I'm in smaller clothes sizes than I was when I got to this weight before. It's just a very strange but amazing phenomenon. I can't believe it. I just wish that. But I don't regret that I didn't find it years ago because you can't live your life looking back and having regrets because I've had a very happy life. And But I now feel like I can do that moving forward in a, in a, in, with a body that's more fit to take me into, you know, my, my older years. Although at 53, I feel better than I did at 43, at 35. I really do. It's amazing. Yeah, I was just sitting here while you were talking there, and and for those that I know, we just generally put the audio out. And I've actually got um, Sarah on camera here talking on video, and you certainly don't look fifty three. I would, would have thought you were a woman in your low forties, maybe at best. And so, yeah, your skin's incredible, and and often say the same thing about when I see people at intermittent fast, and often I talk to people that I mentor or that on camera, I might not have seen them for a couple of months or three months or whatever it may be. And then I see them and I just go, wow, that looks so different to what you did last time. And I remember I was in a meeting with one of our board members, actually, uh, that I work with. And I, I couldn't concentrate on the meeting because I kept looking at him thinking, this guy looks about 25 years younger. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. He looked incredible. And I know what you mean. And I always see people's eyes. It always looks the brightness in people's eyes. And I think that's a... A really great thing, but some of those sort of things you talked about, the non-scale victories and the health benefits, and then there's the phobias, isn't there? Like when I was overweight, there was always those phobias that we feared. You've heard me talk about the flying, how wound up I used to get about that. It used to freak me out, and obviously you're a professional person. You would have done a lot of flying. You know, the other thing is that presenting, um, getting up at a conference and talking, and the other phobia is for me, when I was obese, how much differently I was treated when I was obese to what I am now. And people always say to me, well, maybe that was because you exuded some sort of different persona when you were obese and, you know, you were a bit off, off, you know, standoffish or something. And I say, no, people are just rude because when I'd walk into a shop when I was obese, it was like I was invisible. And now when I walk into a shop, it's, hi, g'day, how are you going? You know, how can I help you? And they're all over you. And when I was obese and I saw that firsthand, not long ago in a shop, I saw an obese guy standing there and the sales staff were all skidding around them. They didn't want to know. And I think that's a real shame that we do have that fat shaming in our society. I know. I mean, it, it's it's something I'm so passionate about. I have, without going into detail, there's a, a couple of people very close to me uh, who have had issues with, um, with, you know, eating and disorders and so on. And, and, it, how it affects them is is and, and luckily they're, th they're they're through and out the other side but you know to see how um how people are just treated when they're overweight and I mean I mentioned in my backstory I mean god <laughs> when I first was was writing my notes and I was talking to my husband about this and uh, and previously and he was he was really quite shocked actually at, at the things and and each comment just sort of in itself might seem quite minor but what struck me when I reflected back on it yesterday when I was writing my notes for you was so when I was married previously, when I had my son at that wedding, somebody asked me if I was expecting. 
who ask a bride on their wedding day if they're pregnant, I'd say the go-to message is, if they haven't made an announcement that they're expecting, assume she's not. And don't ask a bride in her wedding dress when she's supposed to be at her most beautiful to if she's pregnant, because believe me, it sticks forever. Um, when I then married my, my, my now husband, Kevin, 20 years ago, somebody asked me if I was pregnant. Um, I've had, um, we were um, at a work sort of team building and we had to do this canoeing and I was in a canoe with another girl. And when my manager was going through the photos showing afterwards, the canoe was tipping down at the back where I was sitting and he laughed. And she was actually very, and the, the irony of that story is that she was very underweight. And she said to me afterwards that she was as mortified as she could clearly see I was because she was trying to conceive and couldn't because of being so underweight and was desperately trying to gain weight. And what she said to me is he was very cruel. She said, but actually people won't mention your weight you know, in a professional environment because it's rude and professional people might not do that. She says, but everybody's telling me to eat a bag of chips and I should put weight on. She said, and they don't appreciate that for her it was a struggle too. And my message was what, you know, don't comment on someone's appearance if you don't have something nice to say. I mean, it, oh my word, the, I've, I've got into a taxi on my, out for celebrating my 50th birthday with my stepdaughter and a partner. And we were going from the restaurant to a bar in Birmingham and I got in the taxi and I just got in the front seat saying, oh, you know, I get car sick in the back, jumped in the front. The taxi driver said, oh, yeah, it's always good if the biggest person gets in the front, gives more room for the people in the back. I was like, wow. So that ruined that night for me too. You know, so many just careless. I've been compared by a friend who was trying to be kind and she said, oh, you look like this other person we know. You know, you're always being curvy with a small waist and you know, sort of larger hips. And she, I think, was trying to be kind, but she was comparing me to somebody that was about probably four or five stone heavier than me. So I'm like, please compare, making that comparison for me to somebody even bigger. Is that how you see me? You know, oh, that, that you could, I could just go on and on. But you know what the funny thing is in all of that? All those people who made those comments were obese themselves or, or very overweight. And that's really struck me when I've reflected back because it's that are they noticing they're noticing how other people look but they felt that they had permission to comment on my size I don't think I've ever had anybody who was slim and healthy comment to me on my weight because they're not obsessed with how people look there's a real difference yeah I get your thing about shops the amount of times I've gone in to buy clothing for other people and um you know go up to the till with with something somebody's asked me to pick up one of the one of the girls or something and somebody sort of questioned the size that I'm buying and I just think that's rude you know if I've picked up that size and I've gone to the till then that's the size I want to buy it might not be for me you're looking through a rack of clothes and somebody says oh we do have more sizes or we only go up to this size and you just kind of want to punch them in the face but you just walk out and you feel horrible and your stomach churns and I've had all of that over the years but I've also seen um, how children are and children see you for what you just are. And for me, my kids growing up, my, my son and my stepkids, I was the one who always went in the pool. I was the one who wasn't bothered about the hair and makeup. I'd get wet. I'd be the first in the swimming pool. I taught them all to swim. They loved that. And that and my grandchildren now, you know, we went on holiday with them last summer and I was at my worst last summer, I'd say. And I just spent all day with them, all day walking around, you know, in a pool, going down the slides, going in the pool for them, because I'm happy to do that. And I also, you know, and stood in that pool last summer, looking at all the other parents shivering in the knee deep toddler pools like you do in Britain. And actually, there were people bigger than me. There were people smaller than me. It's just everybody was there having fun with their kids. So I could always see past it. But it was the fact that people would just comment. People would just think it was okay. And that then adds to, as you say, the, the fear of, of presenting. I was asked to present at a work conference last January. And I spent more time worrying about what I was going to wear than what I was presenting. And then they do a montage at the end. And I could hear my voice coming out the camera when they were doing this summary on the last day. And I just sat with my hands actually over my face because I couldn't look. I didn't want to see that image of myself because then that would be the lasting thing I took away from the conference and I didn't want to. 
it's awful it's sad but it you know it is what it is and we are both where we are today look at you I mean you are such an inspiration and and actually I mean without getting sort of emotional and stuff you that it, that journey of of wanting to do something I still haven't quite clicked I was nearly there I would say but it was you it was your book without a doubt that did it for me um absolutely I was just like every single thing you said in that book it was like you just changed the narrative and if you just put my name in and female experiences instead of male it was me getting on a plane I'd loosen the seat belt I'd never had to use a, a belt extender but it was close but I can remember loosening the seat belt as soon as I'd sit down so that I had the longest length possible then I'd just sit there and then at the point where you had to fasten your seat belts I would just have to get it fastened and I always did but you know it, oh god it just that all of those things if you're not somebody that's had to do that you don't know what it's like and it's horrible yeah. isn't it <laughs> it is it's awful and um yeah there's so many things and you know we talk about the phobias it's like going to a restaurant i'd go to a restaurant scope out the chairs because i wanted to know what the chairs were like because i was always worried about breaking them or yeah. i wouldn't go to an old-time movie theater because i knew that those flip down seats they weren't going to hold my weight they were just going to snap so there was a lot of things that I used to avoid. And when my kids are at school, um, I have a lot of regret, a lot of remorse about being an obese parent through my two daughters' school years. And I avoided a lot of the things like the parents' running races, the parents' swimming races. I'd always go missing. And I know my girls were hurt by that. Other parents would be out there and, you know, they'd be running around and no one would care. But I know when I got my weight off, it was really weird. And the first time I sort of felt that I was treated differently was I was actually walking through a shopping center. And I was walking along and this woman was coming towards me and she was smiling at me and she went, Hey, how are you doing? As in how are you doing? And I was like, wow. And then I sort of, I looked at her and I was looking around and she said, I'm talking to you. And I said, oh, <laughs> hello, how are you? And I kept walking and I'm thinking, man, there's no way in a million years that that woman would have said hello to me when I was, you know, 360 pounds. I knew that for a fact. And that's the first time that I thought, wow, people actually treat you so differently now. Yeah. And then, and it's sad though. It is sad that that you're not that this thing. I can always remember one of the kids when they were very little describing one of their friends' mums to me, and this struck us still. It's like they it was said yesterday. They said she's really really fat, but she's really nice. It's like they were surprised because a really, really fat person is a horrible person. But actually, this lady was really, really fat, but really, really nice too. I'm like, wow, is that the culture that we live in, that fat people are so overweight, people are so, they're not as nice. They can't be as nice. And I just thought, wow, and that was a really an out of the mouths of babes comment. And the irony was they were saying it to me, who was also overweight, but they weren't seeing me in that way. They were just telling me about their friend's mum, you know, in innocence as a five-year-old. But it's it's the culture we grow up in. And if for me, if I ever was able to wave a magic wand, I mean, when I was growing up, you, you and I are very similar age, um, you know, photos were just taken at uh, someone's 18th or at a family wedding. And, you know, you'd have the good and the bad and the crossed eyes and the, you know, the, the funny expressions, because that's what you had in those days. Now it's all around and, and the fact that people filter and slim their faces down and do all this nonsense, what that's saying to the, the younger generation is that, you know, you're not perfect as you are um, and you need to kind of create some kind of illusion. Uh, and it's so sad. It's really, really so sad. And I hate this culture that my my kids and grandkids are growing up in that there's this concept that, you know, I see people on Facebook filtering photos of their babies and like their eyes are made bigger and stuff i'm like what is wrong with you you know we want i want to see a photo of them covered in mud and chocolate not you know not not filtered to make themselves look different it's a really quite sinister impact of social media and there's so much about it that i don't like yet look at you and i today i wouldn't have met you and found the fasting highway if it hadn't been for social media and the support that I've had through the group with, I mean, so many people in the group have been supportive, but you know, Keith McDonald, Dana Marie, Fifi, uh, um, there's so many, I don't want to mention and then exclude others, but they've all helped me. They've really helped me been so supportive. And 
so that wouldn't have happened without social media. So it, it has its goods mm. and its bad. It really yeah, it does. It's a devil in a deep blue sea, isn't it? I mean, sometimes social media can be quite evil. And as you say, it can be used for, you know, ways that are sort of subjecting people to body shaming and that sort of thing. And then other times it can be so helpful. We have support groups. We have so many tools that we're able to access through social media. We're able to form relationships. We have a great community in the Fasting Highway from people all around the world. And we don't have any judgment in there and everybody gets on and, you know, we can show that we can actually have a community where there's no hatred, there's no division, there's no judgment. And it's just fantastic. And I think you're right. And so sometimes social media can be great, but you are right. So let's just get back for a minute with your weight, um, Sarah. Sort of where are you up to with your weight loss now? Do you sort of know, like, sort of since you started, what you're up to weight loss wise? Yes. So, um so I'm I've hit thirty six pounds or thirty six point something pounds this morning weight loss. So um, it's really slow and steady. My average is about one and a half pounds a week. It's exactly a good healthy weight loss. Um, I um, hit my heaviest weight um, in in when I got obviously when I got weighed in January and I was at two six just over two sixty pounds. And for me, I never would have shared that weight before. Um, but you know people can look at me they would have known what I weighed <laughs> you know that's always the thing I think when people don't share the number and you think well anybody looking at you can see how overweight you are um, so I'm down now to 225 pounds this morning so just above um, just just still just 16 stone something for me I want that I'm always about the number so I want to be 15 something and then 14 something and 13 something but I'm not obsessed with the end number actually because I'm I want to be healthy but I do think the whole BMI thing is a bit outdated and you know it's a guide and certainly I am still you know very overweight I think at the moment but I feel very healthy you know and I look better I'm in normal size clothes and I'm wearing a size 16 UK jeans this morning and a size 14 top that's that's you know what an awful lot of women wear you know so I'm comfortable with that um, funny enough, I wouldn't have gotten this this size jeans when I was this weight before. So I, as I said, my shape's changed. But I would like to aim around the kind of 11 stone mark, I think, because I think that's a healthy weight for me. I'm five foot six. But I'm just going to, you know, just take it as a relaxed journey. You know, when I get to, I'm happy with how I look now. We went to a shop yesterday as I was walking up to the shop and saw my reflection in the window. I'm comfortable with how I look. I don't think I stand out as a as an overweight person anymore. I've always carried my weight very well. I went for a pill check when I was about 21 and the doctor asked me to stand on the scales again because she was surprised at my weight. I think I was you know, probably maybe 10 and a half stone or something then maybe. So it's in a healthy weight category, but she was surprised and she said, you're about a stone and a half heavier than you look. So I know I've always kind of carried it well, if that makes sense. It's not maybe the right way to put it, but you know, I think if I got to about under the 12 stone mark, maybe into the 11s, I would look very good. And actually, that's probably maybe still a stone over what the doctors might say you should be. But I'll just see where I get to. But I'm really, really happy with how it's going. Funny enough, something my husband said yesterday, which is a real nice way to end, really, this, my story, is he said to me yesterday, because we were talking about this as I was writing my notes, and he said, you eat now as a slim person. He says, whereas before when you were dieting, although you were dieting and therefore restricting food, whatever crazy one you were on that month, you know, he said, you ate still as an overweight person. You were worrying about what you could eat, what you had left to eat, you know, whether you could have this chocolate or have the whole bar, all of that, he said. But he's noticed, he said, you just eat now like a slim person eats the choices that you make, you know, think about your food, you just eat and you stop eating, you leave food on your plate when you've had enough. And I never have been able to do that before. And he's noticed the difference. Mm. That's really interesting what you just said then. And I think with your weight, you sort of think you get to that set point where your body just goes, you know, I mean, all of a sudden I was, I was 160 kilos and all of a sudden I got to 100 or 98 or whatever it was. And then I just, that's where I was. And that's sort of where I sort of stayed around, 100, 102 mark. And I think you find that set point with your body's happy and you're happy. And as you said, you're happy in your own skin and you've learned that art of self-love. And that's something for me for intermittent fasting has taught me how to love myself first. And you talked about the mirrors there before, how you wouldn't look in the mirror when you got out of the shower. I was the same. 
I wouldn't look at myself naked. No way. No, when I was 160 kilos, I just refused to look at myself and I'd get dried as fast as I could. And now, you know, my wife always says, you spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. And I say, well, why, why not? You know, give yourself a wink in the morning when you wake up. Start loving yourself. Start loving the way you look. And it's all about that learning to love yourself first. Because if you don't learn your love, love to learn to love yourself first, how are you going to exude that love to everything else around you? And with your intermittent fasting journey, it's really important. Start loving yourself first. Stop the self-loathing. Start the self-positive talk. Wake up in the morning. Say, you know what? I'm all right. I'm going to have a great day today. I'm looking good. You know, you get dressed, you go and buy some clothes, you put it on. And people, you've probably heard my wife talk about the clothes horse, you know. I was going out buying clothes every five minutes. Yeah, I've been And she loved it. <laughs> yeah, and she loved it. And, she, and she'd say to me, you know, if it makes you feel great, honey, go and do it. And people always say to me, oh, you must save a lot of money, Graham, only eating once a day. And I said, well, no, I don't. I've spent a lot of money on clothes and shoes, trust me, more so than I ever did when I was obese. And, yeah, so all these things come to us and I think our journeys sort of unfold and, and we, we all resonate with a lot of things that we talk about. And I think that's why when you read my book, you probably resonated with a lot of that stuff as, as many yeah, other people have. And I think as well, it's funny, actually, when I was writing down my non-scale victories yesterday that that um, I don't have any clothes that are too big for me anymore. I always used to keep them. And I think maybe deep down, I knew I'd always be back in them. Whereas my wardrobe now, every time I put something on, like a work blouse, you know, because I'm doing teams meetings, and then I'd look and I think it's just too big on me now. It's hanging off my shoulders. So it'd go in the pile and it, it was sold on eBay. I've sold so much stuff on eBay. Or, you know, if it was, you know, binned or whatever or given to charity, I don't have anything in my wardrobe that doesn't fit me. And actually, I've got about, probably two pairs of trousers to, I tried them on again yesterday and I've got an inch to go before they'll fasten but instead of just thinking oh they don't fit me actually they fitted already over my hips and my bum and my legs it's just that bit to close on my stomach really and so I just thought oh, that's fine they might fit me next month if it's a month after that's cool doesn't matter I'm relaxed about it but you know that it's and I ordered some clothes the other day it's fascinated me I'm still not quite used to what size I am so I ordered this jacket that I really liked and I ordered an XL which was supposed to be a 14 to 16 UK and it came and it just looked ridiculous. I looked like I was a kid wearing my dad's clothes, you know. It just looked. So I reordered in a medium and a large. I've actually kept the medium. It's, I just can't, I can't get my head around how, how different my shape is. And it is, has only been the intermittent fasting because I've lost weight before, but I've always put it back on. I'm sitting here talking to you now and I've got jeans on. I have no bulge over my stomach and I can feel that kind of, just, I feel different even sitting. I never used to sit down. I bet you did this. When we'd go out and we'd be in a bar and like guys would be polite and offer me a seat. I used to think you look fat sitting down. I'd always stay standing up. I always stood up. All those things that you just do to try and make yourself look better when actually you just needed to get on and lose the weight, but do it in the right way. And this is what intermittent fasting is for me. I'll never change. I'll never go back to uh, this will be a lifestyle. It's I'm not when I said I'm giving myself a year, that's to see where I am in my weight loss journey. But I will never change this now. It feels too good. Why would I want to change this feeling that I have? Um, yeah. So I would I'll be a, I'll be a nomad person for the rest of my life now. I'm quite sure with a bit of relaxation, you know, holiday or, you know, a kind of, you know, two meals a day sometimes, but I don't like feeling too full, prefer not. Once you learn the tools with intermittent fasting, they're there with you for life. And I know that's why I don't fear things like vacations or going overseas or anything like that now. And I remember I've told the story the first time I went overseas, I went to Japan and I tried to sneak the scale into my suitcase and my wife said, <laughs> you're not doing that. And I just wanted to take the scale because I weighed every day, right? And I thought, I can't stop weighing every day. I'm I, I weigh every day. I like that. And you go up and down, but you see that you go up and down, and that's okay too. I've had salty food. I hold a bit more water, and other days I don't. And But I seem to do same, 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 four days. Then I seem to drop, drop, drop. Then I go, so I just have a pattern. And it, but it's fine. The one thing I have done is I've, I've being the scientist that I am, I've done an Excel spreadsheet, which I keep on my desktop. And it was my starting. And then I've written down all the weights that I could see in my fitness pal and times as a woman, you can always remember these things. You know, I know what weight I was when I was 40. I know what weight I was when I first got married, all those sorts of significant weights. And I've just got them all listed down, down to my target that I think I should be at. 
and I just fill the cells in with green as I get to them and it's it's just a little thing that I do but I can really see about a third of it's green already now and it's just that my next target will be I think the way I want to be down into weighing 15 stone something and I probably do that tomorrow morning I think if it's not tomorrow it'll be the next day or the one after that but then that cell will go green and so it goes on and I enjoy that little routine every morning I go and get weighed and then I put the kettle on for my black coffee and I go on my happy scale app and I put go in my fitness pal and I log my weight and I, it's just what I do it's my little bit of me time with my first coffee and and it, it, it's keeping me accountable and, and it's working. Yeah, it sounds like you've settled into a great routine now. And what I'd really like to do is get you back on the podcast in six months' time because it's important yeah. that we follow people up. We're just starting to do that on the Fasting Highway now. We're just starting recording episodes with people from episodes two, three, four, five. Is where are they now? Because people often hear people on podcasts, but then they lose sight of where they are six months or 12 months later. So I'd really love to do that with you. But I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been to talk to you. I find you a very inspiring person. I could talk to you all day, and I'd really like to follow you up. But, Sarah, thank you for joining me here on the Fasting Highway today. Thanks, Graham. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. really enjoyed that chat with you. I found it very inspiring. And thank you so much. And I can't wait to interview you in a few months' time as you continue along the successful path that you've had. And I think a lot of what you just said then will resonate with a lot of people out there that are struggling with their weight or maybe obese or carrying weight because we all have those struggles in common. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. And so thank you so much for that candid interview. And coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to be speaking with another inspiring person and Rondi Lee. And her journey is also amazing. So don't miss that one next week. That's Rondi Lee. Also, I just wanted to thank everybody out there that's buying buying my book, The Fasting Highway, on Amazon and both paperback and Kindle. Uh, Thank you so much. And also a big shout out to the Facebook group, The Fasting Highway Facebook group. Uh, Thank you, as Sarah alluded to there. It's a great group. So come and join us. Until next week, be well, be safe. And remember, clean fasting is everlasting.